Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. Notice first in Acts 2, verse 17 at the top of your notes. It's prophesied in uh, Joel the prophet, chapter 2. And Peter quotes that prophecy here on the day of Pentecost. And he said that the Lord is wanting to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. That is, on all of mankind, small, old, Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, free, royalty, barbarian, doesn't matter. If you remotely look like a human being, it's the burden of God to pour out of His Spirit upon you. So I just want you to uh, establish that truth. God, eternal, almighty God, like we saw yesterday, the way that He wants to interact in this time capsule is through His Spirit. And so if any man in this time capsule is really to be unto God and to walk with God, then God has to pour out His Spirit. And here we have this prophecy. We have this promise. God wants to pour His Spirit out. But the question is, does man want that outpouring? So I know the will of God now. Oh Lord, what is your will? Here it is. I want to pour my Spirit upon you. But now we have to flip it around a little bit. We know the mind of God. We know the heart of God. We know the burden of God. But now, what about me? Am I open? Am I humble? Am I meek? Am I willing? Am I receptive to this outpouring? And I put a couple of verses here from Ephesians 4, 1 Thessalonians 5, where it says, Don't grieve this Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed. So there's something that we as humans can do. We can grieve God. We can block God. We can restrict. We know that it's the heart of God to pour out anything and everything that is good. And of course, the Holy Spirit is good. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. And the greatest gift is the Holy Spirit because in the Holy Spirit comes all the supply of God. The eternal life that we get comes through the Holy Spirit. The conviction you get comes through the Holy Spirit. The forgiveness that you experience comes through the Holy Spirit. He's the conduit between time and the eternal. And God is the reality. He's the source and He pours all of His fullness only through one conduit, the Holy Spirit. But you and I, in a way, we can grieve the Spirit. Notice in Thessalonians it says we can, excuse me, we can quench. That is, we can uh, pour water on the Holy Spirit. So there is an inappropriate response from you. And here's just two from Scripture initially. Grieving, that is to 
in a way, make the Holy Spirit sorrowful. And to quench is to sort of stunt and halt his movement. Maybe he's wanting to light a fire in your being, but you keep dosing it down with water. So we quench, we limit, we restrict. The word I want to use is we hinder. Maybe we frustrate. Some of us maybe even blatantly oppose the Holy Spirit. So walk with me through this. And um, let's fellowship through this just a little bit. And if the shoe fit, then before we go on with living in spirit, walking in spirit, praying in spirit, being moved by the spirit, being anointed, before we move on, let's deal with some of these things, if indeed they're to be dealt with. Is everybody with me? Hindrance number one is simply the hindrance of ignorance. We're unfamiliar with the Holy Spirit, both scripturally and experientially. We're just ignorant. We're not sure what the Bible says. And certainly our experiences lack. And so we just, we don't know. And not knowing produces really a few How do you say side effects? Side effect number one, by not knowing what the Bible teach, is fear. And there it is in your notes. I even put it in bold for you. You don't know, and so fear kicks in because it's like one of those human things. We fear what we are unfamiliar with, right? That's why we don't want to walk into the dark. We don't want to go into a new situation because I'm uncomfortable. I'm unfamiliar with this new dimension, if you will. And so this dimension of the spirit, the divine, the eternal, the supernatural, this dimension, if we're all honest, many of us, we're just downright afraid. Why? Because of ignorance. Another sub side effect, if you will, of ignorance, is that because I don't know, I don't have to react. So I become passive. I don't know that the Holy Spirit can use people. I don't know that He can talk through people. I don't know the Holy Spirit can, 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 can um, be powerful through me. And so what happens is, because I just don't know, I don't make myself available. I, I don't yield. I just become, by and large, passive. And that passivity is because of ignorance. And I submit to you, if the Lord can teach you and get through to you, and if the Scriptures can open to you, there should be something rising up within you that wants to get into the game. Well, okay. The more I learn about the stuff of God and the truths of God, and the more I personally am enlightened, the more I'm like, please, pick me, sign me up. I want to be in the game too. Did you ever see the movie Shrek? Why are we bringing movies into this? But okay. You remember the movie Shrek? There is um, Donkey, you know, and Shrek needs to pick a buddy to go with him on this mission to go rescue Princess Fiona, you remember? And of course, Shrek does not like that donkey, so the donkey jumps out, hey, pick me, pick me! (laughs) And, you know, 
the more, in a way, I understand the truths of God and the life in spirit. Saints, if something doesn't jump up inside of you, donkey that you are, and say, pick me, pick me. What is wrong with you? So, if I can just say here, and hear my heart, as I've watched, very generically speaking, the American Christian version, then I have to, by and large, sum up many, if, many of us, not all, but many of us as passive in the things of God. Passive. The pastor can get into the game. I'm not getting into the game. See, he's got a degree. I don't. And we always sit on the sidelines. And the more you sit on the sidelines when you were called for greatness, and if you can just stop comparing yourself with another person and just let the mantle be on you yourself, and you can get over your fear and your inadequacy, all of us should be so just in a way, I guess, come to grips with the fact you have nothing good. That's why you need the Spirit. And if you've got nothing to offer God, rejoice. Have a great day, because that's the beginning of the Spirit's anointing. As you can just realize, I'm not that great. I have nothing to offer, but Lord, I'm willing. And I see so many of us. It's almost like there is a power and principality that hovers and grips the people of God, many of us in fear and even worse, in passivity. Because you know when you fear, you freeze. Or in fear, you flight. You know that, right? You run. Or in fear, you fight. And I see these reactions from us as the people of God. We we fear and we run from the things of God. We fear and we lock up. We freeze. We fear and we begin to resist and we fight. And all of those reactions, whether you know it or not, inside of you, it springs from simple ignorance. Somebody has not taught you well, or maybe somebody has taught you wrong, but bottom line is maybe you've just not investigated some of these things for yourself. I think we've got to come to a place where we even say, Jesus, I'm sorry that I know so much, but I'm unwilling to get into the game. Forgive me of my passivity. If that is you, Can we just even close our eyes for a minute and just can you, in your own soft, gentle heart, can you just say, Jesus, forgive me for running, for fighting you, for even freezing up and for just locking up. So I just want to give maybe just a minute or so. Search your heart. If you're a passive person in the things of God, then I think the appropriate response would be for just to say, Lord, Forgive me.
So what happens is, because of ignorance, we just become fearful. We become inactive. And even worse, we create what I would like to call, and I'm struggling for words here, so just bear with me. We create an artificial spirituality. That is, we create a makeshift, made-up, pseudo, imaginary spirituality. We're ignorant, really, of the truth of God. We're ignorant of the dynamics of even the Spirit of God. And so, we still want to be religious. We still want to be spiritual. And so what we do, or are prone to do, is we just begin to make up stuff. We make up a walk with God. We make up what we think is a reality of God. We make up what we think is the service of God. We just make up a kind of a Christian life, and then we find a few Bible verses to substantiate that, and then we create sort of a, a boundary around us that this is the Christian life. And yeah, anything outside of that boundary might as well become now heresy for us. So that's why we throw stones at that man and at that woman and at that church and at that movement and we condemn them. And the, why? Because I've created what I believe to be the reality. And only you're creating a thing after your own paradigms, the way you see it. You're creating by and large a thing after your own personality, the way you are comfortable and function. You create it, you script a spirituality. I, I believe we're all guilty of this. You script a spirituality that is a self-imposed spirituality, and it's your own prejudices. And this is where we get denominations. And I want to go on record with all of y'all just to say, I am not so sure God is into all of those systems. He loves the people inside of it all. But I'm not so sure God is exclusively for this denomination and this method and that system. Those are things created after the prejudices of man and the biases of man and the paradigms of man. And by the way, you do know that there's only three denominations out there. There's a denomination that tends to the mind. There's a denomination that tends to the emotion. And there is the denomination that tends to the will, action, ambition. And sorry to say, most of Christendom many of us we will divide from one another based upon your personal prejudice. That is, all of you who love the intellect and scholasticism, guess what kind of a church mostly you will join? A high IQ, intellectual, sophisticated, theologically scripted, synthesized kind of a church. And that will become your way of creating this whole spirituality around the intellect. And is God intellectual and smart, and does God value Ike? Yes, but...
There's a deeper portion of man that God wants to connect with. It's the spirit portion. And these spiritualities we create, you'll see, you create these camps around the mindy people. And you'll notice that the mindy people can't stand the emotional people. Now, many of you are feelers. Passionate. You like expression. And so, you create a whole spirituality around emotions and senses and feelings and excitement. And for you, God is just absolutely a blast. You don't care one bit about what the Bible really says like the mindy people do. You're just all about feeling. And you've got great highs and you've got horrible lows. But <laughs> that's where your spirituality is. And God's calling you in a way to a deeper living where you're neither mindy exclusively or emotional exclusively. <laughs> you can just walk in the Spirit. And so there's other denominations that are very ambitious. They've got to save the world. They've got to build. They've got to go. They've got to do. It's all about numbers. It's very ambitious. Why? Because those are the basic personality tendencies of man. So what I'm saying is if you're ignorant of the Spirit of God, many of us still tend to be religious, so we create a whole religious system in and around a self-imposed, self-scripted um, camp. We build a wall around it. And we call the folk in the other camp heretics. If you've been one of those that have created a spirituality around your personality and you've condemned the man down the street who has a little bit of a different expression, or you hold that person in contempt, or you suspect that person, you are hindering, brother and sister, because your eyes are upon man, and you're so full of your own self, I promise you, you're a hindrance to the pure flow of the Spirit of God in you. Those are just some of the ramifications of spiritual ignorance. If the shoe fits, I would plead with you to have an encounter of humility and repentance before God. Do not blast other Christians. Do not be so bothered about what is good versus evil and right. Leave people alone. Let them be accountable to God Himself. You all with me? You all with me? And if you're a part of any of these denominations, have a blast. Go for it. Except, don't build a wall around it and say, this is the work of God. Because I'm telling you, you become self-righteous and condemning in the process when you believe you alone, the way you've scripted it, is the work of God. Can everybody follow with me? Am I making sense?
Number two, here's just a hindrance that I'm still working through in my own life. It's the simple hindrance of unbelief. It's to persistent skepticism. And you can see unbelief is rooted by and largely here in the mindiness of a man. It's to persist in skepticism. You can see there, uh, I give you several Bible references, but you can see how in Jesus' own hometown, he could not do many mighty works because they persisted in skepticism. They analyzed this Jesus, cross-examined this Jesus. They're always trying to, to, to find fault. And those are all just the fruit of unbelief. And believing comes from the heart. The heart represents that core of a man. That's where you engage God. But most of us, we just want to engage God from the mind, the will, and the emotions, let's say. And when you do that, as you'll see in just a minute, you, uh, you're going to fall short, and it's going to breed skepticism in you. So I say here that unbelief hardens the heart. It closes the heart. A blocked heart is perhaps the most common hindrance to the flow and the work and the reality of the Spirit of God within us. And then I say here another sub-bullet that unbelief makes us cynical. We become critical and condemning. And the things that we can't understand and the things that we can't explain, we begin to hold it in contempt. We, we're, we're, we suspect it. And we, uh, we just get offended at these types of things. So that is unbelief. Oh, by the way, um, Jesus himself states that when the Son of Man comes in his glory, in the end of the age, when Jesus returns, he makes a statement. He says, when the Son of Man returns and he comes in his glory, will he find faith on this earth. The implication is very few will have that oil of faith in their being. And when he comes back, he's like coming to look for the ones who are filled with faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Most of us were just in the land of unbelief. Why? Because your mind, your will, and your emotions... It shuts down faith in your being because it operates in reason and analysis and synthesis and conjecture and argument and cross-examination. And when Jesus comes back, He's not looking for folk who've got it all figured out, folk who have an emotional, strong life, folk who've accomplished a lot. He's coming to look for faith, the issue of the heart. You all with me? Sorry, Jesus that we have missed the simplicity of our heart that stews and brews faith in your being. And we've exclusively lived out of our mind. We've become a hindrance to the Spirit. Number three on your notes there is the hindrance of the natural man. The natural man. And I take that from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where Paul says very clearly 
The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to the natural man. Does it make sense? Mm -hmm. So the natural man has his own culture, his own tendencies, his own paradigm, his own philosophy, his own experiences. And the natural man builds a kind of a false reality, a self-reality, a self-imposed spirituality. And that natural man lives through the senses, what he feels, what he sees, what he thinks, what he heard. And the natural man hinders and frustrates the things of the Spirit of God. And here's what the natural man does. Paul says it so clearly. The natural man considers spiritual things foolish. That's why many of us, when you, when you interact with God out of your natural capacity, you're going to come to the conclusion that this is stupid. This is foolish. And since we are so sophisticated, we don't want to be made a spectacle or a fool. In a way, we frustrate the work of God. If you persist in your natural understanding before God, you are limiting the work of God tremendously. In the Old Testament, there was a man by the name of David. Anybody? This man loved God, as we well know. He had a heart for God. And one particular time, he brings the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God. He brings it to Jerusalem, because this is now the capital. And David wants the presence of God there. And so he brings this Ark of the Covenant, and he has all these priests and all these offerings and sacrifices. And he has all these singers. And it's just this enormous procession of joy and dancing. And David got so excited, you know, he started taking some clothes off. All these coverings that covers our nakedness and our shame, the dude just didn't care anymore. I suspect he started sweating. He's like, that's it. I'm going to stop dancing. Takes off the shirt. Next thing you know, there goes the undershirt. Next thing you know, there goes the socks. David's like, I'm not done with this just yet. And he strips down to like the bare minimum. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and he just, he doesn't care. And mind you, we're talking about the king here. He acts like a buffoon. But he has no self-awareness at that time. He has only God-awareness. It's like he was transported into the whole reality of the New Testament already where you're minding the Spirit. You're minding God. And he strips off and he says, I'm going to even become more undignified. You, you ain't seen nothing yet. And he just starts dancing. And uh, his wife, one of his wives, Michal, she stands there in the window and she's checking out this king. This is her hubby. This is the king. 
And she looks down upon him and she, in a way, despises him. She smirks at him. She laughs at him and she judges him stupid, foolish, idiot. And that woman, she just, she looks down upon that man that is enjoying the presence of God. And that smirk, that laugh inside of her, that looking down, you know what happened to her? The Bible says God struck her with barrenness and she was never able to bear a child for King David. That is, she became unfruitful. She dried up on the inside. Her womb was closed for the kingship. And so she was never able to produce anything. And there is a spiritual lesson. You can go read it. When you laugh or smirk or whatever your judgment is, you throw that stone because with the judgment you judge. It's judged back to you. And Michal became barren. And barrenness in the Old Testament is considered a curse. And barrenness is just the inability to bring forth. And that's why many of us were unable to bring something of the kingship forth and the, 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 the stuff of God and the fruit of God. And we, we can't bring it forth. Why? You're, you're, you're in a way barren. Is God all mean at you? No. You, in a way, cause the barrenness because you throw the boomerang of judgment and that boomerang, you know, it's coming back to the source. And so this is another thing that we may just quickly address. All of us, we judge people out of our own paradigm. We built this living and this reality here. Then I curse and I judge and I smirk and I laugh and I consider foolish that which is unlike me. We're all guilty of that. And no wonder we feel stuck in first gear with God. It's because of a spirit of judgment in you. And the Holy Spirit cannot dwell in the same house where you're the Lord and the King that judges. You know what I'm saying? So saints, we've all done this. And the only appropriate thing to do is to like say, Jesus, I am sorry. And I suppose that's what it could mean to take that crown and throw it down and say, in my identity, I may be a king, but I will not function in the judgment and condemnation that kings function. I'll leave that to the king of all kings. Right? We make this mistake a lot. Number four on your notes is the hindrance of intentional resistance. This is where we know that this is perhaps the Spirit of God. Like, I know this is not me. I know this is of God. But I intentionally choose not to yield. I intentionally oppose and resist. This is when you grieve and oppose and quench the Holy Spirit. Acts 7 speaks about that. 1 Thessalonians speaks about that. 
I do believe many of you, you know that you know that you know this is not you. This is God burdening you. This is the calling of God. This is, this is the anointing on you. But again, you lock up in fear. And one of the things we do when we fear is we fight, right? And that fighting is resisting. You know you're cut in the heart. Man, the, the Spirit is driving you to your face. You know the Spirit is saying, get on your face. And you're cut in your heart. But then the, the self kicks back in. No, 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 no. I'm not going to get on my face. Or no, I'm not going to give this. Or no, I'm not going to go there. And you begin to make excuses. Intentional resistance. You remember at one time we spoke how Samuel the prophet spoke to Saul and he said, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen to the voice of the Lord is better than to offer up the fat of many rams because rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, sorcery, divination. Rebellion is akin to the satanic. And you may say, well, Francois, I don't have a black hoodie and a pentagram and all sorts of candles and a knife to kill and, and slay and incantations and mantras and my widgie board and all my little spells and my... Just even intentional resistance places you in the category of a Satan worshiper. I know that's shocking, but in the view of God, all rebellion is in the nature of his enemy who resists and opposes. I do this a lot. And so I have to have these repentance sessions before God often. Maybe God wakes you up early in the morning and you know God has knocked on your door. He rang the alarm clock. But you intentionally resist getting up. Yet you know this is God. God speaks to you and say, hey, tonight I don't want you to hang out in the lodge. I, I want to go on a walk with you. And you know, you can feel this pull to pick up the guitar and go sit and sing a little bit. Or you have this just drawing to like read for a minute and pray. Or you just, you know this is God, right? And then you explain it away. And you even oppose. Like Jonah, go exactly the opposite direction. Is anybody in here guilty? With every eye open. Saints, you know that the first word that the Lord spoke about the kingdom is that the kingdom belongs to the repentant people. And if you want to be a part of the heavenly reality and the dynamics of the kingdom, repentance has to become a part of your daily living. It just has to. Repentance is not a one-time thing. Repentance is just... It becomes a lifestyle thing for the heavenly people. And I want you to exercise repentance... Whatever that looks like. But exercise repentance. Point number five is the hindrance, obviously, of ongoing perpetual sin. 
So if we are the temple of the Holy Ghost, if we are the house of God, then one of the heart's desires of the Lord is to come into the house and to overthrow and to cast out and to drive out and to rearrange the house so it suits a king. But if you and I persist through our own logic and our own habit and our own addictions, if we persist, obviously we're grieving the Holy Spirit, right? Now, how kind is the Spirit to still keep knocking and showing good and showing kindness to lead you to that repentance? But, saints, I just want to say there's coming a day when that knock becomes fainter and fainter and fainter if you live in a lifestyle of perpetual, ongoing resistance. A Puritan preacher, Thomas Manton, said the following, Fire is quenched by pouring on water or withdrawing the fuel. And so the Spirit of God is quenched when we live in ongoing sin. And it is like pouring on water or not improving our gifts and grace, which is like withdrawing the fuel. So we have to deal with sin issues. If the Spirit of God says to you, stop drinking, then no questions asked. Lord, can you give me another confirmation? Lord, can you like perform a little sign so that I'm sure you don't want me to drink at that wedding or get drunk at this situation or sleep with this man? If the Spirit says, don't go to the party, stay away from this, then just do it. And if you've missed it, have the courage to just say, Lord, I'm sorry. There's no sin that we can commit that the Holy Spirit is not ready to come in and flood with grace and forgiveness. But why don't we experience the flooding of grace and the flooding of... It's because we just don't simply say, Lord, I'm sorry. So again, make repentance just a part of a lifestyle with God. And you'll blow it still a hundred times. And most of the time, I guess all of the time, you'll blow it intentionally. And I want to tell you, for all of us who are still intentional rebels and reject, and God still is knocking at the door. I always marvel at the man on the cross with the Lord Jesus. The one guy taunts, mocks. And the other man said, Lord, remember me when you come into your throne. Have mercy on me. And the Lord says, hey man, I'll see you on the other side. It's never too late, right? All that happens really is that the more we persist in sin, the fainter the conviction become, the softer the knock become, but it's still there until my dying breath. Glory to God. Most of you all look troubled by what I just said. I just want to say hello. The Spirit will keep wooing. Why? Because the love of God compels the Spirit of God to keep knocking. Keep pursuing, 
keep wooing. Glory to the Lord. Point number six, why we grieve the Holy Spirit, why we reject, why we run. It's the hindrance of woundedness. It's to be hurt from past experiences where you were forced or coerced and manipulated and connived, persuaded, convinced. You had bad experiences and bad examples. And so you become cynical and jaded and it shuts your heart down. Bottom line is you're actually wounded. And so you don't believe that God is really gracious or kind or benevolent or has good intentions. You begin to hold all of the work of the Spirit in contempt. You suspect everything. Question everything. At the root of that, you're bitter. You're wounded. You're hurt. And people hurt you. And yes, we as the church hurt you. Some of us, we've taught you there is no Holy Spirit. This is all satanic. Some of us, we have forced you to have experiences that you were not ready for. We were so eager and zealous. We pushed you. We damaged you and we hurt you and we confused you. And there's some of us that have told you unless you fun function in this spiritual gift, you're just inferior. You ain't got the fullness. And we pile on all this weight on your soul. In the name of Bible teaching and in the name of zeal, we the preachers, we just pile it on. And we're not aware that it actually wounds and hurts the people of God. When we call you inferior or we call you, oh, you just didn't have faith enough. Or we belittle you. And then there's many of us that act all weird in the Holy Ghost and it damages the example. It puts a bad taste in your mouth. I've been around the block also. I've seen that. And I've done some of that. Forced people. So I have one embarrassing story where I forced a person and it scared me to this day. And after that day, I've decided, you know what? I'm done. Actually, I sat on a plane next to a, a Hinduist at one time from Los Angeles to um, Medford, Oregon. And then me and the Hindu lady, <laughs> we had an interesting discussion and she nailed me. This is another story, but she... Uh, she said, why do you Christians try so hard? If the power of God is relevant and real, and if this so-called Jesus is alive and can change people, why do you try so hard? 
And it's that time where I said, you know what, I, I need to go to the bathroom. Can I go to the toilet for a second? I just went and threw up. Never came back. She had a good point. Why do we force people, if indeed God is so powerful, if indeed God is so enjoyable, why do I have to coerce you and manipulate you? And why do I have to use smoke and all of this great stuff to like sweep you up into a frenzy? Why do I have to try so hard? I had nothing to say to that lady in it. But I was in South Africa. This was in the year 1995. I was in Georgetown in the Cape province. I believe it was the Cape province. But I was, uh, I was doing uh, evangelism with a group of people. We would go walk the streets and we would minister to people. And in Georgetown, they have this um, arts festival. Think of it as San Francisco. And all the hippies rush to this arts festival and all these New Agers and all these, you know, tree huggers. They existed even back then. And it's art and it's occultic practices. And we, the Christians, we're going to come in there and clean up this town also. Because we got the truth, right? So they arm you with Bibles and they arm you with the little Gospel of John booklets. And this is where I had a bad encounter with a person. There was a particular artist on the street, a lady. I'd, I'd say maybe she was in her mid-twenties. Can't remember. Don't know what she sold, necklace, pottery, whatever. But I struck up a conversation with this lady. And uh, I'm a 19-year-old uh, teenager at that time. And uh, I tell her, you know, have you heard of the love of God? the goodness of God, of Jesus. And she's like, yeah, I, uh, I do believe in God. And I forced her to tell me, when did she confess Jesus? And she struggled, and I put her on the spot. And I embarrassed her. Because unless you pray a certain way or a certain date, you cannot be a child of God, right? It's very black and white, right? So she's trying to mumble through a few things, and um, she said, Yeah, I, uh, I think uh, I, I need to get right with God. And y'all, she was on like the, the verge of just having a breakdown right there in the street. And I don't know what happened to me, but I, I became a buffoon. And I pulled out my Gospel of John, and very religious, very zealous, very self-righteous, I told her, you don't really know Jesus, which was true, but if you just read this, this will teach you everything about Jesus you need to know. And this little booklet will get your life right with God. And I aggressively, with the worst attitude you've ever met, shoved this booklet into her hand, which is the gospel, which is the good news. But I used it as a condemning tool with a bad attitude. And I said to her, if you just read this, your life will never be the same. And you'll be a lot more sure of God. And I, you know, I just pile it on. And that lady, she had this reaction. And I'll never forget it in my life. Never. 
She had this reaction. She looks at me. I don't want that. I don't want what you have to give. And the door just shut. Who shut the door? Me piling on all this condemnation and this, it has to look a certain way and you've got to read this Bible. And I used even uh, chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus is the way, the truth. And I used it in an evangelism way to force this woman to get right with God. And I hurt her. I abused her. So I don't know where that lady is today, how our walk with God is today, but I contributed, I believe, greatly to a misrepresentation of God. And perhaps a woundedness and even a bitterness in her soul towards God. I can just pray that the Lord have mercy on me. Because I put a bad taste in her mouth of the good news of Jesus. I tried too hard. And for some of you, You've been wounded by the people of God. And I want to tell you, that wounding is not going to stop. There's still going to be people like me that's a buffoon, that's overzealous, that's untimely, unbecoming, inappropriate, forceful, manipulative. We're going to use all this stuff to convince. It's going to, it'll be with you till the last day. There's a couple of things you've got to do. Number one, you have got to forgive those folk, past, present, and future. And number two, you've got to take your eyes off of man. You've got to take, the longer you have your eyes on man, the more you'll stay confused, bitter, wounded. Get your eyes off of people. Good people, bad people, Good intention, bad. Just get your eyes off of people. And if people act like a buffoon, what else did you expect? Welcome to the human race. But then again, don't use people as an, as an escape to not yourself be open to God. See, Lord, they're all hypocrites. So this must not be real. You will always have Hypocrites with you, you, there will always be bullies, there will always be inappropriate behavior, always. But you make a gross mistake of using the errors of man as an interpretation of God. That would be on you and that would be your fault. You all with me? I've contributed to so much hurt in it, I'm hurt that I did that. And so I just want to say to all of you, even here today, I do not care really how your spiritual life looks or how it manifests. I just don't care. All I care about is that you and God have a blast. Bottom line, where He sends you, I don't care. How He uses you, I don't care. What Bible you read, have at it. What gifts you manifest, go for it. I just don't care. You're not more spiritual or less spiritual in my eyes. Hello? Welcome to my new understanding. I'm still trying to figure it out myself. I just don't care. All I care about is that you and God have a ball. That you would live heart to heart with your God. That there would be no wound, no blockage, no frustration. And whatever it looks like, have a blast.
The reason we sometimes block the Holy Spirit, we grieve, we offend the Holy Spirit, is because we want to use the Holy Spirit for spiritual showmanship. That is, we want to use the Holy Spirit only insofar we can show off how spiritual we are. There was such a man actually in the New Testament. I gave you the passage there. His name was Simon the Magician, who saw uh, Philip and whatnot there in Samaria lay hands on people. They received the Holy Spirit. And so he proposed that if he could buy that gift, he too could facilitate you know, all these God encounters and the supernatural. And he was really trying to make a show for himself and keep his sorcery magician name going. So he wanted to use God for self-promotion. Can you all follow? You just have to read the context a little bit there. But it's basically spiritual showmanship. I want the Oscar. So folk are open to the things of God. But it still has not... How can I say? The focus is still me. God is to make me look good. And the Oscar goes to. And it, it breeds spiritual competition. This whole thing, I see it so many times. Spiritual showmanship. We're in spiritual competition as to who has the most ghost. And then lastly... Uh, this goes without saying, I put it last. Jesus himself said that if we blaspheme the Holy Ghost, if we blaspheme, and you don't have to worry, I, you don't have to worry about this one. But to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to intentionally attribute to the Spirit of God the satanic and say, actually, this is not God. This must be Satan himself. This cannot be God. This is devilish. If any one of y'all have made statements like that, you are of all people most stupid. You have to be exceptionally smart to make such a strong pronunciation. And... Bottom line is you're not. Don't condemn easily. Just don't even condemn at all. Because you're going to miss it. To blaspheme is just to say, you know, this work, this has to be satanic. This cannot be of God. Be careful of those statements. Be very, very careful. And if you've made statements, there's repentance. I mean, like, really mean business with God on this one. But I would say to you, don't attribute satanic to stuff you don't understand. Don't condemn what you don't understand. Don't throw stones. Just, in Jesus' name, stop it.